we all remember Snowball, the little dog that couldn't get on the bus and, and they forced the child on the bus without the dog and then they pick up the dog and that spurred a national act to the Stafford Act and the Pets Act that basically says emergency management at all levels need to create a plan for people and their pets. Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Megan. And we're second-year veterinary students at Colorado State University. Today, we're going to talk about the impacts of natural disasters on companion animals with a focus on hurricanes. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated the Gulf Coast. Photos of decimated houses, flooded streets, and lost animals seem to be on a 24-hour loop. One of the greatest reported logistical failings was the evacuation of pets. Over 600,000 animals were abandoned or killed. In an article written by veterinarian Dr. Robin Chadwin, she stated that during Hurricane Katrina, some pet owners were threatened with arrest before they were convinced to evacuate their flooded homes without their animals. She also stated that during disasters, owners may be forced to evacuate without their pets because proper animal evacuation plans are not in place. First responders may even tell owners to leave their pets behind because they do not know where pets can be housed during a crisis. To learn more about animal rescue during disasters, we spoke with Eric Thompson, the executive director of Code 3 Associates, an organization specializing in natural disaster response with a focus on animal rescue. When you talk about mass care, where there's people, there will be pets. That is a 100% proven fact in every disaster that if you have people issues, you have pet issues. So what did we as a nation learn from Hurricane Katrina and what did we do to prepare for future hurricanes? We all remember Snowball, the little dog that couldn't get on the bus, and and that spurred a national act to the Stafford Act and the Pets Act. It basically says emergency management at all levels need to create a plan for people and their pets. And that plan can be everything from uh, evacuation to sheltering in place to animal rescue and working on different levels of whether we're working at a, at a human shelter, like an American Red Cross shelter, where people may want to bring their pets, or whether they work with a faith-based group or another volunteer organization active in disaster to actually house people with their pets. After Hurricane Katrina, the Pets Act of 2006 was enacted. This act stated that the Federal Emergency Management Agency can provide rescue, care, shelter, and essential needs for individuals with household pets and service animals, and to household pets and animals themselves following a major disaster or emergency. According to Chadwin, zoonotic disease outbreaks are a common reason for why pets are not allowed to be evacuated and sheltered with their owners. However, Eric told us about new shelters being implemented that allow animals to stay with their owners. And what's been a really incredible uh, change since Katrina are all the different care models that are out there now. Even during Hurricane Katrina, one of the most popular models back then was an emergency animal shelter separated from their owners. So people would give up their pets for a short amount of time or the pets would be evacuated into a separate location 
But the long story or the short story is that that pet was separated from the owner. And then there was a lot of effort put into care and hopefully reunification. Ever since then, we've seen a growth model of what there's a co-location model where you think about people and pets not being in the same room, but being in the same building or the same campus together. So people then can go take care of their pets during the day and then have sleeping quarters. The other one that came out about three years ago and was originated down in Louisiana is called a toad habitation model. And this is where people and animals stay together in the shelter in the same space. And we found that the cohabitation model actually provided an atmosphere where the animal is less stressed, the people are less stressed. This type of shelter is very beneficial to both human and pets, as Chadwin states that most pet owners prefer to have their pets sheltered close by so that they can have regular contact with their animal, which reduces stress among both owner and pet. Another common practice that was adopted following Hurricane Katrina, according to Glassy, was emptying animal shelters pre- and post-disaster impact. So what happens when there isn't coordination and communication between organizations? So traditionally, we're divided into two different camps government organizations and non-governmental organizations or NGOs. So the NGOs are going to be your, your humane societies, your other volunteer organizations that don't have contracts with the municipality. And then your government agencies will be your animal controls, your animal services, and shelters that may be city run. And absolutely, and I'm going to throw veterinarians in here too, and educational facilities like CSU, because you, you think about the wildland fires TSU actually provided some large animal support through the veterinary college as people were trying to find places for their horses. So exactly, you think about a hurricane coming in, it doesn't matter what state it is, whether it's Florida, whether it's Louisiana or any of the coastal states, is you will have both a governmental action going on and then the NGOs doing their own thing if they aren't put into the county municipal plan. So a good emergency plan and coordination would be for the government piece to reach out and identify the non-governmental resources in the area that people may already assume are in the plan because nobody's going to ask during an event if I'm if a hurricane's gone through and I've lost my pet nobody's going to ask the humane society if they have the authority to work with the government they just assume that animal's going to show up there because a citizen is just going to take it there and unfortunately that's the way it has to go because a lot of time, if we went through the red tape, the amount of animals coming in during the surge response would overwhelm any system. So the result is an ad hoc coordination at the time of the event of, hey, we know that there are people taking animals to five different locations. What's our best mode of sharing communication? And does it need to be a national team to come in to help coordinate reunification and care services from these five different places? So what happens when there isn't coordination and communication between organizations? Chadwin states that groups may take it upon themselves to rescue as many animals as possible, resulting in a chaotic mix of unauthorized or untrained people taking and sheltering animals anywhere they can. Owners' reunification with their pets can be particularly difficult when there are multiple rescue groups involved, and unclaimed pets may be adopted by other families or euthanized. Glassy states that during Hurricane Harvey, there was a lack of standardized and centralized displaced animal forms and databases for animal emergency management, which was also a problem during Hurricane Katrina. This led to animals never finding their families. 
This impacts animal health because some animals are never reunited with their families or euthanized because good-hearted people want to help but are not organized, do not have the proper resources, or are not in contact with other rescue groups. We spoke with veterinarian Dr. Reagan Adams to learn more about the impacts disasters have on animal health. So when adequate resources aren't established, what implications do hurricanes have on animal health? I mean, it was one of the biggest things that you saw during Hurricane Katrina was just the pictures of the animals. You leave the animals behind, they die, they roam the streets. Chadwin also states that zoonotic disease risks increase when pets are abandoned or left to roam, where they are more likely to encounter infected wildlife or unowned animals than if they were sheltered with their owners. A common way that diseases are transmitted is through vectors that are associated with pets, such as fleas, ticks, mosquitoes, and endoparasites. The risk of many vector-borne diseases is more prevalent after water disasters, and this is likely attributable to contaminated water sources and thriving populations of vermin or insect vectors. Another zoonotic disease that can be spread by pets is leptospirosis. Animals can become infected when they drink contaminated water. According to Glassy, some organizations during Hurricane Harvey were ill-prepared for veterinary challenges such as heartworm, distemper, and parvovirus, which led to disease outbreaks in these temporary animal shelters. So overall, hurricanes can have detrimental consequences on disease transmission between wildlife, pets, and people. So what impacts could evacuating and sheltering animals have on the community and on animal health? In Chadman's article, she writes that evacuating and sheltering companion animals can help protect the public from zoonotic disease through mitigation of loose animals and preventative medicine. Furthermore, animals in a shelter will be safe from exposure to contaminated water, carcasses, and feral or free-roaming animals that are more likely to harbor disease. Animals in shelters can be easily screened for disease of concern and given vaccinations and parasiticides when they are sheltered. Farmer and D. Young found that households with pets are less likely to evacuate, possibly due to lack of proper evacuation plans, lack of available resources for transport and housing, and perceived risk for both them and their pets. So by having proper animal evacuation measures in place, their owners may be more willing to evacuate as well. The stories that I have heard about how somebody can lose everything, but if they have their animals, their recovery is completely different than if they lost their animals. So what can someone do to be prepared to evacuate with their animal in the event of a disaster? Yeah, pet go bags are great. You know, when the when the hurricanes come in and the call to leave comes out, we tell people leave. And, you know, the old the old adage was if you had to leave, put your animal in the bathroom with a tub full of water and then you'll go back. And you'll be fine. And then the hurricane comes in and wipes out the house and everything's gone. Uh, so obviously that isn't the, the best advice, but thinking we always say now, take your animals with you. Uh, so that preparedness piece in evacuation, and that is going to include having a go bag for your pet, all the medications, all the ID, all the fun things that's going to take care of that pet for 72 hours um, before you can go find additional help, hopefully within that amount of time, but then having a place to go. A lot of people say, well, emergency management or somebody will open their, open their door to me and they don't plan ahead to find a friend outside the city or whatnot to go to. And the thing is, we're talking about essentially millions of people. Shelters fill up quick. And then we see people living in their cars um, with their animals uh, unprepared. I just think the most important thing, the cumulative most important thing is that animal people in a community 
appreciate the fact that stuff will happen, stuff bigger than them, and that they need to prepare for what they can, but also reach out and have an animal community. We, you know, there's a tendency for people to live as loners sometimes, a little too isolated. So part of my preparation for my animals, I have three dogs, and I probably have four neighbors that have keys to my house and know my dogs and know how to feed them. Because it doesn't matter if I'm caught in a, when I used to drive around and go to Denver and things like that pre-pandemic, I could be in a, some kind of traffic jam in Denver and my dogs hadn't been out for eight hours. Isn't it cool to be able to call your neighbor and go, hey, Tim, can you let the dogs out and feed them dinner? And the door opens and they go, it's Tim! <laughs> Instead of, I'm going to kill this guy. So the buddy system is very big. But when something big hits your community, you're really, you will do better if you have community members that you can, you know, that you can rely on. And what always happens after, especially a natural disaster, is communities feel stronger because they were forced to work together. This kind of, yeah, we did it together. And that is, we might as well start that in the beginning. Some suggestions for when you're evacuating with your pet, according to Farmer and D. Young, include microchipping your pet in case they run off during the evacuation, researching pet-friendly shelters, making sure to have name tags and collars for all animals, and appropriate carriers for sheltering. You can also start the conversation with your vet about what you can do to prepare for disasters that may be common in your area. To make sure that you're prepared for a disaster, follow Dr. Adams's three main tips. Move slowly, have everything ready, have your contacts. (laughs) And the more um, independent you are with having all those things for your animal, the better the animal feels and the better you feel and the better things go. In the most recent IPCC report, it was stated that extreme weather events are becoming more frequent and severe. So do your part to help combat climate change. You could... Walk, bike, or carpool to work. Eliminate single-use plastics. Switch to energy-efficient appliances and devices. Or reduce food waste. No contribution is too small. We want to thank Eric Thompson and Dr. Reagan Adams for taking the time to answer our questions and dive deeper into this topic with us. So don't forget when preparing for disasters. Move calmly, have everything ready, and have your contacts. Don't let your pet be the next snowball. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.